Hello and welcome to Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. And I have a question um, for either of you. Will you trade me these two bright, shiny dimes for that one ugly quarter that you have? Oh, so I'm getting two. You two. Two, two, these bright, two, shiny two is dimes. more than one. The but math, you just have yeah. one quarter. Yeah, the math checks out. Sure. Abs- like absolutely. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> He's trading me two for one. Oh and they're shiny. They're shiny. Yeah. This thing's all corroded. <laughs> uh, this week's Mount Rushmore podcast is about trades or transactions. Famous, infamous, and this was my suggestion. So I get to pick uh, which person goes first. And so I'm going to pick Michael because I'm just so excited that he has a little baby now. Michael, would you be inter- interested in trading the first pick uh, for future considerations? <laughs> uh, no. Damn it. No, sorry. If you had two shiny dimes, though, we could have... You do have two shiny dimes. I do. I got them from him. <laughs> Whoa, we're Michael, excited about that. Uh, oh, sorry. What would you be interested in starting off with as trades or transactions? What's uh, well, I, I think it's hard not to talk about sports in terms of trades um, because it is such a important aspect of uh, slavery in America. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> where someone is essentially purchased by a team and they are owned by that team and traded away at times, yeah. even though they're always well compensated. Yeah. And so it's not really slavery. Mm-hmm. I'm just making a stupid joke. Sorry. Guys, is that knock Sorry, on the guys. door at the NAACP or ACLU? <laughs> I'm not sure. NAACPACLU. It's all they of combined. them. It's all of them. Well, the first one I want to talk about, just because it's kind of interesting and then it's not necessarily all about money, but kind of mm-hmm. sort of about money, was Babe Ruth being traded to the New York Yankees from the Boston Red Sox in oh. 1919. And that's the curse of the Bambino, right? That is associated oh, with okay. it, with these sad people who uh, have to put all of the, <laughs> the woes on their life yeah. and blame someone else uh, rather than it just being about baseball and not winning baseball so games. So I'm not a sports ball person. So what happened? Uh, in 1919, the Boston Red Sox... Uh, even though Babe Ruth was kind of an up-and-comer, he wasn't quite the Babe Ruth of legend yet. He was still a pitcher, right? Yeah, he was a pitcher and an outfielder, and he was good. He was, a, I mean, he was a great player, but I don't think he was quite mythic yet. Right. And the Red Sox kind of were coming off of a down year, and they uh, traded him to their to the Yankees, who really hadn't done anything quite yet. They weren't quite the dominant team. Right. Um, and they traded him for $100,000, basically for the rights to negotiate with him. Hmm. Uh, and then also uh, $300,000 in loans in order for the uh, owner of the Red Sox at the time um, to finance a musical. <laughs> really? Uh, it was to finance the musical No No Nanette. Oh, apparently. That was a hit, I think. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, they were big. He financed a ton of musicals throughout oh, wow. throughout the years, and I guess musicals were the thing to go to outside of baseball games. Oh yeah, yeah. In the early uh, oh. uh, 20th century. So, this was a good trade or a bad trade? It was a bad trade for the Red Sox yeah. because they did not win any World Series for 86 years. Yeah, I think it kind of, and then the Yankees immediately went on to win. Mm-hmm. I think all of them. Yes, they right from, yes. Ni- from 1919 until he died. 2004. Mm-hmm. Yes, they won every World Series. That's that's correct. Yes. Okay. Oh well. You know, he became Babe Ruth himself. Became kind of this. He was the Babe Ruth of Babe Ruths. Yeah, he was this yeah. gigantic 
in the sport. And I think part of it was that he put like these, this tremendous salary request on the Red Sox and they weren't willing to pay it as well. Mm-hmm. But obviously he was worth it since they went on to win many yeah. World Series. And Was there any way that that changed Babe Ruth into a powerhouse player or was he already a powerhouse player? I think he was always a good player. And but it, you know he didn't be, he became a kind of the most home runs he had hit before that were like twenty nine in a year and I think that was the record and then he went on to hit something like fifty four like he went on to like he hit more than I think every other team in the league combined yeah he went on to become this tremendous slugger and also this tremendous personality like mm-hmm. this was a guy that that was probably coming up as uh you know very brash and yeah. then going to New York, it kind of was magnified tenfold. Yeah. And I think that his personality plus his ability to just be a great player yeah. kind of tr- transformed that team. Yeah. And Boston, you know, they, over the years, over, you know, they flirted with World Series appearances and playoffs and never quite got over the hump. And um, I don't know if it's just one of those things that just, I, I personally think it just didn't happen because they just lost close games. Yeah. And it oh, just... Okay things happen yeah. uh, you know they had great players uh, who, uh, ted, williams ted williams was, was on the greatest one of the greatest baseball players of all time right carly strimsky yeah and they couldn't win so whatever get over it losers <laughs> but then they then they buried a jersey and it was all better right uh-huh. <laughs> that, how that worked out i think something like that yeah they, they tried to like you know blame it on a curse mm-hmm. for many years but uh, whatever losers it's like the cubs curse yeah you guys just weren't good enough. Yeah. That's your curse. Yeah. That's you weren't curse. good enough. Yeah. Get a better team, idiots. Richard, what's your first? All right. So I have two sports ones, but one is not really about sports. So I'll do the real sports ones mm. first. We'll just put a... Uh, a pin. A, a, yeah. We'll just put some sort of like warning ahead of it to let them know to skip ahead to a certain point sure. to get past the sports stuff. Uh, this is Wayne Gretzky being traded to the LA Kings. Also on my list. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, oh. good. We'll, short, we'll shorten the show on the first half. Good. Cool. So... He was traded in 1988, and Wayne Gretzky was basically the Babe Ruth of hockey, to to steal an analogy. Yeah, it was, and it was also kind of like, like trading uh, the American bald eagle from oh, America wow. to <laughs> Canada, right? But the reverse of that. He he had won, I think, like nine MVPs by that point. Mm-hmm. Played for the Edmonton Oilers, which was, you know, Edmonton, one of the smaller towns, cities to have an NHL team. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I think it had won like four or five Stanley Cups, had this amazing roster of players. But the problem was when you are in a small town and you don't have TV revenue and you don't have all the other ancillary money that you would have, like if you're in New York, you can't afford to pay all of these players. And so the owner got the idea, basically realized Gretzky's contract was going to be up the following year. And the Kings had been harassing him to try and get Gretzky for like two or three years. Mm-hmm. And eventually he thought, you know what, I better get something out of this or else he's going to walk away and I'm not going to get anything. So he wound up, a um, few other players were swapped. Some draft picks were swapped, but, swapped, but the big thing was $15 million in cash wow. was sent from the Kings to the Oilers. And that's American money, Holmes. <laughs> We're not talking those wacky Canadian, Canadian loons loonies, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Straight American cash, homies. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that translates from 1988 dollars to? I think it was. I'm trying to think. I think it's. Oh yeah, and and 88 dollars today, it's like 28 million dollars. Mm-hmm. It's still a hefty chunk, although it seems like totally feasible within the realm of sports 
nowadays. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. seem like it doesn't seem like that much money. It, it doesn't feel like twenty eight million dollars today would be enough to like dramatically improve the finances it, of a it, major like professional sports team, right? Would it be like trading Michael Jordan from the Bulls to the Celtics or something like that? Like, would or to be, the Toronto Raptors? I mean, there oh, was yeah. a real national. Yeah, it was like a national tragedy. There were, um, there were actually politicians who uh, tried to get the government to stop the trade. Yeah, they wanted to uh, come up with a plan that uh, the government would would buy Wayne Gretzky from the Kings and then sell him back to a Canadian team. They oh, wanted wow. to make some sort of a legislation that essentially you couldn't buy players. Mm-hmm. From one country to the other, I, I believe it was. This like, is like, this like, is, this like is shitty be- NAFTA. Yeah. This is before NAFTA. Yeah. <laughs> and the owner was, I mean, basically, it's funny because they wound up winning the Stanley Cup, the Oilers did, yeah. two years later, thanks in part to some of the pl- some of the players that they got and also the main player they got back, they wound up trading back to the re- over to the Red Wings for like three really good players. So they wind up winning the Stanley Cup. The Kings never won the Stanley Cup with Gretzky. So for this trade that on the surface seemed like highway robbery, seemed like, you know, this national tragedy, the Oilers actually came out all right on this. Mm-hmm. What it seemed to have done was put more of a spotlight uh, on the American side of hockey with the best player, you know, all of a sudden, the best player in the league and maybe ar- ever. arguably the best player that's ever played the game to suddenly be in L.A. and be in you know, an up and coming. Mm-hmm. It's like when Beckham was played for the galaxy. Sure. Yeah. yeah that's okay. a good, that's a good analogy. Okay. Yeah. Was Gretzky. So I, I'm from Kansas city and Joe Montana spent the last couple of years quarterbacking for the chiefs. Yeah. But you kind of had the impression this was, it was almost out to pasture already by then. No, he no, was no, still no. the best player in the league by far. Gretzky. When they traded him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely was. Um, yeah. He, I, pl- he played with them for another Eight, eight, ten years, close to that. I think when he get traded, St. Louis. I think like seven or eight. Yeah, it was ninety six when he got traded. Yeah. Did his wife and daughter get hot as soon as he came to Los Angeles, or were they hot already? Well, his wife was already hot. Okay. You know, the uh, Janet Jones, yeah, knee Gretzky or oh, yeah. Gretzky knee Jones, mm-hmm. uh, who was best known for one of the Police Academy movies. I don't mm-hmm. know which one. Yeah, she was in League of Their Own. Oh, she was, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. So she had kind of like a film career that is starting, and that was one of the one of the things that Canadian. Edmonton fans, Canadian hockey fans to this day, still kind of see her as like the Yoko Ono oh. <laughs> of this whole thing. Like the, somehow she, you know, orchestrated this because yeah. she wanted to live in Los Angeles yeah. so she could further her career. We were ju- you were just on the edge of like, uh, you know, pro sports superstardom with Michael Jordan coming to prominence right around the same time. Bo Jackson was hugely popular. And of course, the three of them teaming up to make pro stars. Oh, yeah. The uh, cartoon series where they, uh, I guess, fight evil together. The With three hockey of them. sticks yeah. and hockey pucks. <laughs> well, it sounds like a, a nice comparison, the parallel between these two choices. A, a um, country and a city with an inferiority complex. Yeah, who sure. Who believe that this c- celebrity got And it's not just that he got traded to an American team. It's he got traded to Los Angeles, like yeah. the city of stars. So suddenly it was like, you know, go into the old the forum to see the Kings was now as hot of a ticket as going to see the Lakers. Yeah, with yeah. Magic Johnson, which was, you know, I grew up kind of a Kings fan, and you know, nobody showed up to the damn. It games. does seem like your young uh, Pierre Trudeau and young Brad Pitt pulls up in his convertible, uh-huh. flashes a wad of cash, a bag of coke, 
your hot blonde girlfriend hops out of your convertible, <laughs> right? Drives away with Brad Pitt, <laughs> and you're left going, "What happened? <laughs> hey, come back, eh?" So basically, one thing I do want to point out: the, the owner of the Kings, Bruce McNall, who later wound up going to jail for like five years for like insider trading fraud. Um, part of the way that he allegedly closed the deal is he had Wayne Gretzky in his office. He phoned the owner of the Oilers, Peter Pocklington, got him on a speakerphone, but didn't tell him that Gretzky was in the room with him and basically started a conversation with him and goaded the Oilers owner into talking about what a pain in the ass Wayne Gretzky was. Oh, wow. You know, he's a pain in the ass. He's kind of a crybaby. You know, his girlfriend, his wife is screwing everything up. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, and Gretzky's there like listening to this and wow. basically said, okay, that's it. I'm done. Let's make this deal happen. So uh, Michael and Richard both chose the Wayne Gretzky choice. So Richard, what is your second? Okay, this is the sports one that's not sports. And this was Fritz Peterson and Mike Kikich of the New York Yankees swapping wives. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that is one hell, it's one hell of a trade. Oh dear. Yeah. So this was the big story of spring training in 1973. Um, the two Yankees, uh, both pitchers, Mike Kikich and Fritz Peterson, had been friends for several years, had uh, you know, gone out with wives, you know, just doing stuff that you do as, yeah. with your friends, and had kind of realized that there was a lot of attraction between, I think, Fritz Peterson and uh, Mike Kikich's wife, and nobody was like super happy with their relationship, but they were more or less okay. But they thought, I think I'd like to have the life that the other person has. They mm-hmm. explained it later saying they weren't swapping wives, they were swapping lives. Wow. So they basically decided to... They were just, maybe they're just bad spellers. Possibly. <laughs> How they, were their lives different? Was one... Did they have different personas? The, the not necessarily. Mike and Fritz. Mike and Fritz, by the way. <laughs> is, there, is there anything that says wife, <laughs> wife swapping in 1973 more than Mike and Fritz? <laughs> uh, I know Mike Kikich was more of the uh, like class. I think he was more of the, uh, the, the team joker. Okay. Of, of the team, but... I, I, you know, I don't think I don't even know that it had anything to do with that per se. I mean, I don't know exactly what the mm-hmm. what was going on behind the scenes there, but basically, yeah. Uh, before sometime in the off season in '73, Fritz Peterson packed up and moved into uh, Mike Kikich's house with his wife and family, and Mike Kikich packed up and moved in with the Petersons. They swapped houses. They swapped lives. I mean, they literally, lives. They just they just that's so strange. Just moved. Wow. Um, did they change clothes? Did Fortunately, they... they wore the same size. <laughs> Thank God for that. It could have got awkward <laughs> otherwise. So, of course, this being in New York, everyone was really open-minded about it. It wasn't a big media deal. No. No, just kidding. It was a complete nightmare for mm-hmm. the for the Yankees. Um, you know, they, they had to have PR. Tar- they had to have a press conference about this. Mm-hmm. Which didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the uh, upside of this is that by the time this essentially news had broken, Mike Kikich and uh, Fritz Peterson's wife had already split. Oh. And, and uh, Fritz Peterson's... They, they divorced. Oh, no, well, they had already... So they had... Absconded. So, so the two couples had split up, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. They'd swapped. Yeah. Well, Mike Kikich and the woman he had swapped with mm-hmm. had already split up. They they yeah. moved in for a couple of months and said this isn't working this out. This isn't working out. Problem is Fritz Peterson and Mike Kikich's wife doing just fine. 
doing great. <laughs> and uh, Mike Kikich's wife tried to get back together with him, and he wasn't interested. Uh, and then they have to be teammates on the damn team for the uh, rest of yeah. the year. Yeah. So needless to say, one of them got traded pretty soon yeah, after that. Yeah. Um, uh, Fritz uh, Peterson and Susan Peterson are still married. Aww. Lasted for like 30 something years. I don't know how, when, when, they, when the kids ask, you know, how did you and mom meet? Yeah. That's a bit of an awkward conversation. I can see trying to explain it with baseball cards. Okay, <laughs> kids, sit down. <laughs> sit down. So here's the roster for the Yankees <laughs> yeah. this year. And do, do you think that. For some of these wives, they're attracted to the aspects of the lifestyle and less so the husband. Like there's shows about, you know, basketball wives and there's a lot of... I, hmm. they, they I don't be, think that's necessarily true in the early in 70s. Because oh, okay. it wasn't... A, the Yankees, a, the Yankees stunk back then. Okay. It's right when Steinbrenner first... Babe, the Babe Ruth just died. He literally just <laughs> retired at the age of 60. Oh. Um... And, you know, it, it, it wasn't, they weren't making millions of dollars. You know, they were obviously doing very well for themselves, uh -huh. but it wasn't the lavish yeah. lifestyle that I think most baseball players, athletes have okay. today. Okay. Yeah, in the 70s, like the top salary was like maybe a million dollars. Right. Making a million dollars was a huge deal. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we are at our halftime, and we implore you, the listener, to join us on the social media pages we have on Facebook, uh, to follow us on Twitter, to go on Instagram, and to support the podcast in that way, and lend your story, your conversation, your voice to this dialogue by leaving suggestions for shows that you would like to see, topics you'd love to see us tackle. Download, rate, and review the episodes that uh, we have out on iTunes. It would really help us kind of fine-tune the show to help uh, meet our fan base where they live in the fun spot of so we're the gonna, penis area. We're going to trade the WTF podcast fans for ours, for our unfortunately. Fans. I don't know how to tell you that tell you this you guys if you're a fan of you, both you'll still be you're with. still here but yeah. otherwise you've been great fans you've really done a lot for the organization <laughs> over the years but this is a deal that we had to make it's too good to pass up we're, sh we're sure you'll do great being fans of them all right now go on get out of the car now okay, now, now we've already cleaned out your lockers yeah. leave michael your third choice is what my third choice is the story of one red paperclip in oh. 2005 a canadian guy not Wayne Gretzky, named Kyle McDonald, uh, set out on a project to trade his way from ownership of a red paperclip to owning a house. Oh, wow. And he did so within a year. Wow. He made 14 uh, trades, and I'm sure that the notoriety from doing this is what eventually got him to a house in Saskatchewan. Oh, okay. It's a house in Saskatchewan. It's not like... Let's be not, honest here. It's not like you get a red paperclip and then you're suddenly living in Beverly Hills. I, mean, I think if I wanted to live in Detroit, I could actually just straight up trade a paperclip yeah. for you a house. You could just walk into a house in Detroit <laughs> and live there at this point. Right. Um, he started... Uh, I'm going to run down the list of 14 trades, so bear, bear with me for a second. He first traded a red paperclip for a fish-shaped pen. Then he traded that for a hand-sculpted doorknob. Then he traded that doorknob for a Coleman camp stove with fuel. Then he traded that camp stove for a Honda generator. Then the generator was traded for an instant party with a keg, an IOU for filling the keg, and a neon Budweiser sign. Go for it. He then traded the instant party to a comedian and radio personality for a ski-doo snowmobile, which was then traded for a two-person trip to um, 
British Columbia, which was traded uh, for a box truck, which was traded for a recording contract, which was traded for uh, a year's rent in Phoenix, Arizona, which was traded for an afternoon with Alice Cooper, which was traded for uh, a Kiss motorized snow globe, which was traded to uh, Corbin Benson for a role in the film Donna on Demand. Corbin Burnson. Corbin Burnson, thank you. And then ultimately, the movie role was traded for a two-story farmhouse in Saskatchewan. Wow. So he went, and I, I think it's, I, like I said, I think it's because of the kitschiness of it or just the uniqueness of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty hard to ultimately do that or to have this as a lifestyle. Yeah. But I think the uh, cuteness of it and probably, you know, being on radio and TV and, yeah. you know, those, I'm sure on Monday, there was like a morning TV program that featured him trying to trade some stuff. And like, mm-hmm. oh, well, yeah, I'll trade this thing that's worth a dollar for something mm-hmm. that's worth $500. And there you yeah. go. The house, by the way, only worth $8,000. Well, that is definitely worth less than a uh, kiss, uh, a walk on <laughs> snow club. <laughs> I, 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 I thought about this one. And I think it's bullshit. I will straight up. I will straight up say I think this is bullshit. As in what? This, I think happened. I I think that this was a setup. And your proof is what? My proof is some of these trades are stupid. Like, why would you make this trade? Even the even, why would you trade a paperclip for a fish pen? Fish pens look sound cool. A lot of that stuff that seems like really you. cool, right? Like a cool fish pen. I'm not going to trade that for a, a paperclip. I go 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 to the off, the supply but room. But what if it was a brand new paperclip? No, I don't care. <laughs> like a like a virgin paperclip. <laughs> what unbent, unbroken? You know, the, the hold, uh, hold a bunch of paper. Do you, are you just just saying may, maybe the lens of of visibility through which he was doing all this stuff made people do things that weren't even in their best interest because they wanted notoriety that they traded with the trade guy? Yeah, I think there's certainly an aspect of that. Or at some point he realized he was onto something. And maybe uh-huh. the trade was a quote-unquote trade, where it was like maybe he paid the guy to make the trade. I don't know. So, okay, th- I mean that's that's hearsay. Still seems authentic though. Seems yeah, he, he still did. I I also got to say, it sounds like some of these things are kind of like something you trade when you're super baked at a party yeah. or something like that. Like like why would you like he traded what a a doorknob for a camp stove? Sure, fuel. That's not a good trade. On the traders side it's not, uh, yeah why, why camp stove is like useful doorknobs doorknob what if this guy needs an ornate doorknob yeah i mean you got it it's about necessity it, right his, his his door's wide open yeah it's not closing <laughs> like someone's gonna come in and steal his camp stove yeah but he's living might in, as well get rid of the camp stove uh, and uh solve his problem he's living in a house in saskatchewan what do you need a door for <laughs> i do think woody harrelson would play the guy in the movie like Maybe 15, 20 years ago, Woody Harrelson. Mm. So, so, an, an, it, so an empty keg, an IOU for beer, and a Budweiser sign for a Ski-Doo? That's a bad trade. Ski-Doos are worth several thousand dollars. Mm. Where's the value in that trade? We just came off an episode where we were talking about, uh, as seen on TV products, of people being hucksters yeah. and selling garbage to other people. Certainly, this man probably has some yeah. genuine personality and is mm-hmm. able to talk anyone into into I'm trading sus- anything. I'm just saying I'm suspicious. Well, I do see like some of these <laughs> trades. Um, Stevie Wonder can see guys still. All these other trades also that you've said, Richard, lived in the public eye and were press opportunities too. I don't know. At what point, Michael, maybe you know this. At what point did this go from being him just doing this to actually like getting notoriety over it? 
Um, I would probably say by the time that you get to uh, trading the instant party uh, okay. to the Quebecan uh, like disc droppy to to the to the comedian Quebec, the Quebecois yeah. radio DJ. Lola, bonjour. It's in the morning. Once you get to that it's point, just French that he uh, learned. <laughs> Once you get to that point where you're you're a bit on a TV or on a, on a radio a show, regional talk show, then y- yeah, you gain more prominence, and then you're able to do yeah. more things. And Skippy's definitely up for adoption at your local shelter. Next up, after the commercial, we've got a local man who's trading things across. Isn't that interesting, Stan? Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. The Corbin Burnson one is interesting because it turns out, if I'm not mistaken, Corbin Burnson is like one of the largest collectors of snow globes in the world. Oh, is he? Yes. I didn't do too much research on it. Yeah, I, I just remember this from, I didn't well. <laughs> research it, but I remember it from when this happened. He is like a massive snow globe collector. Really? And this Kiss motorized snow globe is apparently very rare, it turns out. And so he went to him knowing he was a snow globe collector. Somehow he got tuned into it. And Corbin Burns like, yeah, oh my god, I've been looking for this for like twenty years. Because <laughs> you can't just hear, I want to rock, rock and roll all night, done through a music box. But is a role is a role in the movie Donna on Demand starring Corbin Burnson really better than a Kiss snow globe? Maybe for to, someone, to, someone so. to the right to the right person, to the fans. Of, I think that's so. it. I mean, you you point out, you know, that Corbin Burnson uh, wanted this thing. You just have to find the right trading partner. Yeah, he, he found the right trading partner for one red paperclip initially, and then he finalized it by you know some eight thousand dollar house. And maybe yeah. it's maybe it's the house isn't worth very much, but someone someone thought it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, who's next? All right, my next one is uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Which let's discuss this for a second. Yeah, we all know that initially he's an idiot for trading whatever his cows. I think. For uh, magic beans, yeah. But let's discuss Jack for a second. Is this guy really a hero? Like he is he really like a hero? He is the guy that is buying Ginsu knives on TV. Yeah, yeah. He's he's fall he's falling for the magic elixirs. Mm-hmm. He's falling for someone offering a better deal. Wait, doesn't he? Isn't he a prototypical American though? Because he he does ultimately take a risk, and then he winds up with a goose that lays a golden egg. Apparently, yeah. But also, depending on which version of the story, the original sort of... Oh, there's different versions? Yeah, so there's different versions of this story. It's kind of like how the Grim Fairy Tales sure. are all awful and miserable and filled with blood and people dying. Mm-hmm. The original... I mean, probably the story goes back like 5,000 years. Sure. There is one variant when the original like kind of written, distributed ones where... The giant is, there's nothing wrong with the giant. He's not a bad guy. He's just a giant who has a giantess wife and has a, you know, has a golden goose. Yeah. But he's not a bad guy. And Jack climbs up there and steals all his stuff and then chops down the beanstalk and kills him. Jack is a thief and a murderer. Mm-hmm. So later on, you know, they there was a moral, the moralized version, which might be the one we're more familiar with. Which is that a fairy comes down and, and tells Jack that the giant had robbed and killed his father or was keeping the golden goose hostage or something like that. Mm. Kind of as a way to justify what is otherwise oh. a completely unjustifiable story. Mm-hmm. Apparently there was a, uh, a miniseries that the Henson Company did back in like the early 2000s called Jack and the Beanstalk, the real story. 
<laughs> the hard, hard hitting truth behind Jack and the Beanstalk. It was a Hallmark thing, Jeff. You yeah. might be familiar with those. Oh, it touched my heart. Um, and it was essentially the. Uh, I'll read from the uh, Wikipedia here. The story was considerably re- reworked to reflect what Henson believed to be a more ethical humanist view. So basically, it, it's set in modern times, and Jack's descendant, for some reason, has to go back up to giant land up in the mm-hmm. clouds. And it turns out that he realizes that his you know, great-great-great-great-grandfather was an awful, horrible person. And then he has to go back and like make everything right. <laughs> really? And that's the story. So, first off, that tells us how far Henson Entertainment had fallen <laughs> in the early 2000s. Yeah. Like, I don't remember this. Mm-hmm. Nobody remembers this. Matthew Modine, who starred in it, absolutely does not remember this. Hmm. But, again, it's... Jack's kind of a jerk. Even even in the most... Even in the best sense of it, even if he had stolen... If the giant had stolen things from other people, he's not, like, redistributing. He's not freaking Robin Hood. He's still just taking it yeah. for himself. Mm-hmm. Jerk, jerk face. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He initially, uh, I guess, in the in the fairy tale version that I remember, he had like somewhat noble intentions in order to feed his family. Like they were starving, and he had to take their last what cow to market. Mm-hmm. We'll get a job. So he was <laughs> loser. He was the first victim, Jack, because he was taken a, advantage of. He's a yes. child who's taken advantage of. Right. He, yeah. He was he his trade. Was to get something to feed his family, and he was given these magic. Now, was he promised the magic beans would go? What did the magic beans that he was promised do? Would they feed his family, or would they grow giant beanstalks oh. so that he could climb up and steal a? No, I think it was supposed goose? to like. I'm pretty sure it was supposed to like. Um, they would be abundant harvest from a the lot beans. of weed. There's just grow a shit ton yeah. of weed, so, and then they could harvest that. So even though he ultimately, you know went off on this adventure. He had noble intentions, even though he was kind of an idiot. He was tricked. He was tricked in a way. But was, then he wasn't tricked because they were magic. No, right. No, it was a fair trade. Hmm. In fact, he got the better end of that deal. Yeah. The real idiot here is the guy who traded the magic beans. For that dopey-ass for cow. Damn cow, yeah. <laughs> what you didn't know is the person that traded for the cow has this horrible cow sex, uh-huh. sex fetish. <laughs> oh so he would say, I got the better end of the cow. And now he's Which got a house in Saskatchewan right? mm-hmm. with that cow. <laughs> Okay, uh, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Michael, I think you end this here. Uh, my no, my, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, my fourth one is just, it's kind of a personal story. Oh, good. It's not a famous trade. It's nothing that you'll see in the history books. Maybe one day. <laughs> but it was, you know, you talked about Jack being kind of an idiot and trading things. I guess I was too. In like junior high and high school, I would trade away my lunch also on my list. Really? Yeah. Oh. Every day. Not every day, but quite often to other friends uh, to get a giant chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> <laughs> how big is the cookie? Yeah, define, define how big this cookie is. Hold my hands up. Oh, it's like one of those ones that's the size of your head, right? Yeah, it was a big cookie. And like, Let it be stated, 10 inches it seems to be the approximate distance between the fingers he extended. It was, it was, a, it was a giant school yeah. cookie. Yeah. And um, I guess uh, quite tasty for, I remember doing this quite often. <laughs> the entirety of your lunch. Yeah, often would be. Would there be? For the, for the equivalent of like a dollar's worth of a cookie. Would there be um, something in your lunch that, would, would your lunch be predominantly like a homemade things or would there be it, purchasable things? It, in it? it rarely varied. And it was stuff that my dad 
would make every morning, which I kind of feel bad about, but my dad doesn't listen to this podcast, so I don't, I don't care. Uh, it would be a Lender's Bagel, plain. Okay. It would be an apple. It would be often three chewy chocolate chip cookies. What? So I don't know what I was doing. Oh, the and, kind of uh, Keebler or whatever those. Yeah, it was. It was a or, the soft cookies, soft yeah. batch, yeah. soft batch, batch chewy you. chocolate chip cookies, and either like a Capri Sun, oh, and or a Ecto Cooler when Ecto Cooler was in fashion. Wow. Was, you didn't trade the Ecto Cooler. You kept that, right? Uh, it would depend. I, I I recall that there were moments where like s- someone would just have part of the lunch and you trade mm-hmm. bits and pieces. Yeah. But uh, I had a, a friend, Amir. That would always buy my lunch. <laughs> Amir Vajdani, who would buy my lunch, and uh, Gilbert Soto. Uh-huh. And there were a number of people that I would trade to eventually yeah. get a dollar to buy a cookie. And mm-hmm. I think eventually that faded. My dad eventually stopped making lunches, and I would go across the street to Big Time Burger and uh, get a burger or yeah. buy donuts. That'd Was this be, uh, predatory lending? Do you feel like you were... Like you get the, chipped on this? Yeah. I don't know. Like as a kid, I don't know if I if I knew that if I was getting the better deal or not. I was definitely getting the what I thought was a good deal because I, yeah. I just wanted a cookie and I didn't yeah. care about the stuff that was a bit more nutritious or filling. Yeah. It was just like these are things that, you know, the things that you place importance on when you're 14. Yeah. It's often stupid. I don't know if this will be in sequence after the As Seen on TV episode, but Michael purchased an ab Jimnick. Right. To work off the cookies. So you're saying there's the a connection donuts. between the two? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for my lunch, see, mine's the opposite, sort of, because... Wait, is this your fourth choice as well? Yeah, it's my okay, fourth choice. Okay, okay. Um, because I, I, we probably have discussed this on, on the show before. God bless my mom. She had no idea of what a nutritional meal was for her kids. I believe we just we've discussed the bacon sandwiches I would have for breakfast. Yes, I think yes. we just talked about that on the show. Um, my lunch typically would consider consist of like a homemade sandwich, so fine, you know, whatever lunch we eat, like turkey or bologna or whatever, bag of chips, hmm. um, some sort of hostess product. Uh huh. So usually a ding dong or a ho ho, <laughs> maybe a cupcake. But if you did that, we'd have to like wrap it, rewrap it, and stuff. Um, and then a soda, ah. which is really tough to pull off when it's not like I had, it's not like I was at work and I could just stroll in and put my lunch in the refrigerator to keep it cool. So my mom would like triple wrap it in foil yeah, and like, like keep it in the freezer until it was like almost frozen and then triple wrap it in foil and put it in my lunch bag to try and keep it cold God. until I had my lunch. God bless wow. parents and yeah. the efforts that they go to and their children that undermine them immediately <laughs> right. for a fucking cookie. Well, so, so, I, so I, I was the one who had the power in these trades, mm-hmm. right? I had hand. Yeah. I had a soda I could trade. Nobody else had sodas. I had ho-hos. Yeah. I had chips. Sandwich, eh, whatever. Nobody cared mm-hmm. about sandwich. But I had good stuff. Yeah. So I could trade for marbles if there were really good marbles I wanted. Or baseball cards, or you know, Mad Balls, or whatever the yeah the hottest thing was at the that time. That was interesting because mine usually was a one was like a food for food trade. You are eventually getting a house in Saskatchewan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's what wound up happening. I'm recording this in my house in Saskatchewan. <laughs> you, there was a kid in our grade school named I think his name was Larry Day. Oh, Larry, yeah, and I remember Larry. Okay, yeah. We were all envious of Larry's. Um, lunch larry usually came with a big paper bag like a kind of a 
kind of torn up, a wrinkled up paper bag, a grocery bag, not a small lunch bag. Yeah. And he usually pulled out a two liter of Pepsi and a bag of Oreos. Whoa. Yeah. And it was clear. It wasn't clear to us. Well, to us, Larry was the king of the planet. Yeah. Uh, we did not over, we overlooked the fact that Larry usually was dirty, unkempt, okay. mm. often had like a broken arm or something because mm-hmm. he had no actual vitamins in his diet at all. No bone density <laughs> you know, whatsoever. No bone density whatsoever. Oh, um, Larry. And that he was very willing to trade this for anything that resembled actual food. You know, like if you have like so a desperate for nutrients. <laughs> so di- Larry was clearly like a latch. I will lick your sweat. Either a latchkey kid or an orphan who just had an ATM as a parent that just gave him all this money that he could buy anything he wanted to. Or had a, a parent who was even less associated with the food pyramid than yours was. Yeah, my, my, my mom's food pyramid was just like a straight line. Yeah. Somehow. <laughs> so you had status. I, I no, I didn't. Well, yes, and when it came to food, I did not have status in oh, yeah. in, in middle school in okay. general. Yeah, but with food, yeah, I yeah, I, yeah. I could pull some trades. Yeah, that was that's pretty cool. Uh, well, that that I do think that's really fascinating. How much the trades one man's junk is another man's fortune. Uh, there's a lot of status in having this this thing that somebody wants, and it lets you enter into this transaction in which you you know it. It gets kind of emotional too, as as it was like with those with the wives. I mean, they traded their entire lifestyles and families and and everything. That's like the darker side of wife swapping, the, the non sexy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, it's like baseball trades. Sometimes they work out. Sometimes, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't. It's, it was interesting that like neither of our picks seemed to be from a sense of desperation. Like no, no one seemed seemingly gave up something uh, that they just. They didn't want to give up, but they had to because they needed yeah. something. Yeah, they, they were all. It was all whether it was all seemingly justified. In mm-hmm. some. Hmm. The one pick that I chose, um, I am an employee of the Walt Disney Company, and I'm kind of a fan of Disney history and all that. And uh, um, Walt Disney's personality was shaped early on in his career when his prized uh, his prized character Oswald the Lucky Rabbit uh-huh. was stolen by essentially universal or what would become universal because they wanted to launch animation uh, content. And uh, the, Walt went to New York to negotiate uh, an increased uh, revenue for creating these uh, films. And then he realized that he had signed the character away essentially in this contract. And then you guys I think know where I'm going here. Cause many years later mm-hmm. in 2006, um, uh, Oswald returned to the Walt Disney Company in exchange for Al Michaels, the broadcaster, <laughs> right, uh, as part of an agreement um, that they would liberate him from his contract. Um, I love, I love the idea that this is something that, that that the lawyers have had, like hanging over them for eighty years. Eighty years. Yeah. they're sitting there just like, gotta get Oswald. We gotta, get, gotta, get, that, gotta get that Oswald. <laughs> just to honor Walt's <laughs> legacy, we gotta get this. This great rabbit. That's funny because they read that after he did get Oswald back, Bob Iger notified Diane Disney Miller, Walt's daughter, and said that they'd gotten Oswald back. And that was a big thing. And she said, who? Who? (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm on my yacht. Talk louder. If you're Al Michaels, you can't feel great that you got traded. Your your value was about that of an obscure cartoon rabbit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did I get traded for the tricks rabbit? (laughs) No, he definitely was Roger uh, Rabbit. No, acknowledged that in the press. So, so this was such a fun episode to talk about trades, and it got uh, personal, and it got historical, and slightly hysterical. Uh, We did have two crossover choices too. So, 
Uh, Richard, I'm, I'm going to say that this is not to give away my judging, but I think this is going to go in your favor uh, because of the fun research that you did and it's a fun way you explained some of these things. Let's go half a point each for lunch trades and for a Gretzky. Okay, so we'll go half a point each for that since you both had that. And then, Richard, I'm going to give it to you for the Yankee trade, the Yankee swap, and for Jack and the Beanstalk because that was so bizarre knowing all the history of that and how uh, the giant really kind of fell into ill repute over the years. So that was super cool. So this has been the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. It's good. So did you